Good morning. It is wonderful to be here with you this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're certainly pleased that you can be here with us, and I hope the things that I present to you will be beneficial. They'll be edifying with you in some way in your relationship with God. This morning, we're going to look in the book of Exodus chapters 3 and 4, and we're going to look at a story in which God comes to Moses and kind of a little background, context background. Much of the book of Genesis is about discussing the lineage of a man by the name of Abraham whom God called out of the land of Ur, and he gave him a promise that he would give him a land. And it deals with his lineage, and it gets to the point where in that lineage, there's a man by the name of Jacob whom God renames Israel, and Jacob has 12 children, therefore the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those children, Joseph, is sold into slavery by his brothers and sent to Egypt. And in Egypt, he, through the providence of God, performs some miraculous things, talks about some, some visions that the Pharaoh had, and he gets in the good graces of Pharaoh. During that time, though, there's a great famine going on, and his brothers actually wind up coming down to Egypt, and they live in Egypt with them. And as Genesis is closing... It's talking about the fact that they are now in Egypt and the Pharaoh views them in a good eye. And as an Exodus, Exodus opens, it says there that another Pharaoh came along and he did not view them the same way the previous Pharaoh viewed them. So he enslaved the Hebrews. They were growing fastly, uh, fastly. they were growing quickly. And in Exodus chapter 1, it says there that the Pharaoh told the midwives to start killing the sons of the Hebrews. That the midwives wouldn't do it. Then he takes it a step further at the end of chapter 2 or chapter 1 and says that for them to throw all male-born children into the Nile. In Exodus chapter 2, we read of the story of a man named or a child named Moses that's born. His the midwife sends him down a river in a basket in which one of Pharaoh's daughter sees Moses. And Pharaoh agrees to bring him into his home. And he's raised in the home of Pharaoh. He's educated in the home of Pharaoh. But what we do know is that Moses is always very aware of who he is. That he is not Egyptian. That he knows that he's Hebrew. There's a story in there in which an Egyptian is beating a Hebrew slave and Moses kills him and covers it up. Later on, he sees two Hebrew fi Hebrews fighting, and he says to them, why are you fighting? Aren't you brothers? And they say to him, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill us? And so Moses is fully aware that, that people know what happened. So Moses takes off and he flees to Midian. And Moses has been in Midian for 40 years when God comes to him. And God comes to him with a plan. He comes to him with a purpose for him. But Moses has some fears. And before we get into this discussion between God and Moses, what I want us to look at is what fear is. And fear is defined as an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous. There's also another aspect of fear, extreme reverence or awe. And fear is one of is a couple of things. There is a necessary fear and there is unnecessary fear. In Proverbs chapter 1 and 7, that says 17, but it's supposed to be 7. I just realized I mistyped that. 
supposed to be seven. It talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So that is something that is obviously necessary in our relationship with God. That's a necessary fear to get to the right point in our relationship with Him. And unnecessary, there's a lot of things that we're unnecessarily afraid of. You know, there are over 500 phobias. The number one phobia is fear of public speaking. The number two phobia is the fear of death, which I find that very weird. That the number one thing that people are afraid of is is what I'm doing right now. And I heard a joke years ago that when you go to a funeral... The person giving the eulogy would rather be in the casket than actually giving the eulogy based upon these statistics. But you know, when I was younger, I had a fear. And, I, and I'm not going to... It would let up way too long and close to my marriage and actually probably went early into my marriage. I had a very sincere fear that I didn't know how long I was going to be able to have conversations with my wife. I was extremely introverted when I was younger And I thought, we've got about four good years, and then I'm done. How do people go on talking all the time? That was an unnecessary fear. We've been married for 26 years. We've not had a time in which we don't have something to talk about. Very unnecessary. And the real problem with unnecessary fears is the potential that it makes things seem much bigger than what they really are. That they're not what we seem to think they are. And with Moses in this situation, it, was, it wouldn't allow him to see God's great plan. God's great plan for him, for his people, and it, what it ultimately would do would lead him to attempt to reject God's plan. And I want us to understand the objective of this study is to examine these fears and ultimately look at what Moses was saying and examine our our own personal faith today. You know, God came to Moses and He called him for a very specific plan, and it was to deliver a group of people out of the bondage of slavery. We have a similar calling, and it's not a physical bondage, but the calling that God has set before us is to help people understand that they are bond bound and slaves to sin. And that it is only through God and His plan that they can be delivered through that from that sin. And each one of us has a purpose and a part in that plan. And we can't allow fears and excuse things off because we're afraid. And I want you to see as we go through this, some of the exact same things have been perpetuated over and over again, over thousands of years, and they land squarely on us today. So as we look in the book of Moses, or excuse me, the book of Exodus in chapter 3, God has come to Moses, he's tending sheep, he's in Midian, Midian and God says to him, through, comes to him in the form of a burning bush. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go back to Egypt And I want you to deliver my people from the bondage of sin, slavery. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11, this was Moses' response. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? That's a legitimate concern. 
Moses has been in Midian 40 years. Who am I? Who am I to go back and tell these people, hey, you need to come with me? This was God's response. And he said, certainly I will be with you. Here's God in the form of a burning bush. A bush that doesn't go away, that it is not consumed. He's revealed Himself to Moses and who He is. There should be that fear that we talked about, that necessary fear of reverence or awe. All of that is involved here. And Moses has God's confirmation that He will be with him. But Moses isn't done. Well, what will I say? And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? What am I going to say whenever I say, Hey, the God of our fathers is the one that sent me. They're going to ask this question. What's his name? What am I going to say to that? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. This was a reference back to Abraham. This is something that they would clearly know and understand. As a matter of fact, when you go into the New Testament, Christ makes this same reference, and the Pharisees want to kill him for it. This is the ultimate statement for them to understand exactly who sent him. So God is equipping Moses to help him overcome his fears. Well, what if they don't believe me? In chapter 4 and verse 1, And Moses answered and said, Behold, but behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. I mean, honestly, a little bit of a good concern. They're not going to believe what I'm saying. So God equips him with some miraculous abilities. He tells him, throw your staff on the ground, and when he does, it turns into a snake. And he says, now pick up the snake by the tail, and when he picks it up, it turns back into a staff. He tells him to put his hand in his cloak, and when he takes it out, it's white as snow, it's leprous. And then he puts it back in, and it's healed. He says, if they don't believe that, you're to draw some water from the Nile River, and whenever you pour it out, it will be blood. So he's equipping him with some tools. And finally, Moses says, I'm not eloquent. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech and of slow of tongue. Another concern. I've never been able to speak in a manner in which people will understand me. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. You can see this. God equips him and says, Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. Over the years, I've read this story many times. I've heard many sermons on it, and I'm going to be completely honest. I think we're a little bit hard on old Moses. It's at this juncture that we turn and say that these, he's just making excuses. 
And I don't think that's the case. Put yourself in Moses' shoes a little bit. And these concerns, these fears that he have, they're legitimate. If God came to you and said, I want you to go into a place, and I want you to go into a place in which they want to kill you, and go take thousands of people out, and go talk to the Pharaoh, would you not have a bit of a fear? Would you not have some concerns? Would you not have concerns that you're putting your life on the line and you don't know exactly how you're going to go about this? But the truth is, is for every concern or every fear, God gave him a tool and equipped him. And said, I'm going to be with you from beginning to end. And I want you to think about these things that have all just been listed, that they have perpetuated thousands and thousands of years, and we have the exact same fears today. Who am I? That is a question of sufficiency. Who am I to proclaim the the gospel of Christ? Who am I? Are they going to believe what I'm saying? It's easy to get caught up in the idea that we are insufficient for a task. And the reality is, is we are insufficient. But we're not to rely on our own sufficiency. Because God's response is simple. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think a thing of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. The very same thing that God was trying to get Moses to realize, He's still trying to get us to realize thousands of years later. It wasn't Moses that was sufficient. It wasn't any great capability that Moses had. It was God. And today it's the exact same thing. Who am I? Nobody's going to listen to me. You're exactly right. Our sufficiency is based in God. That we are not anything in ourselves. What will I say? That's a fear that our lack of knowledge will hinder. How do you go about teaching other people? How do you go about proclaiming God's Word to other people? Good conduct in our life is obviously one way we do that. That's one way we open the door to that. But at some point, we have to have that conversation. And what God's Word says, what will I say? One of the things that fascinates me and when we do our family Bible studies is I ask very specific questions to my children. I ask them very specifically to present something to me. And I'm always amazed at the different process and how they go about it. My oldest, my daughter, she is wonderful about simplifying things so that people can understand them. She's not going to give you book, chapter, and verse. She's going to put things in a way that's very simple for you to understand. My middle child, he's going to book, chapter, and verse it to death. 
He's going to nail every verse that he's talking about. And then my youngest child is kind of this combination of the two, which is very weird to me the way he works and the way his mind works. But my goal in doing that and the goal in what I'm trying to achieve is I want to see that you can teach it. That you have the capability to answer a question that is based upon God's Word. It's the same as it was for Moses and what we rely upon. God's response is to study to show thyself approved. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of the truth, the word of truth. In that scenario I just gave you of each of my children, it wasn't about what they thought, but it was all about how they broke down God's word. That's the objective and what I want them to understand. And that's the objective and what God wants us to understand. The means in which you teach somebody is going to be different from one person to the next. But we need to rightly divide the word of truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you back up and go to chapter 14, Paul has been kind of uh, he's been discussing things in, in the service, in the assembly of the church, and keeping things orderly. And then after this, he talks about the resurrection, a problem that people have been having understanding the resurrection. And he sets this up perfectly when he talks about the resurrection, because first and foremost, he needed to get them to understand something. And this is what he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand. By which you are also saved, ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the Gospel. This is the good news. This is what Paul says you are standing in and you are established in. This is the thing that you teach. This is where that, that old saying that we say, this is the mountain, that the hill that you die on. This is where you stand. And we live in a hyper-politicized world nowadays where everything is argumentative and social media and all of that Really, the peripherals of life. But the truth is, our response to what will I say needs to be rooted in these words. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because from that is in which everything, all the good purposes, all the good promises that we have in life. They will not believe me. This is a fear of failure or rejection. Probably of the things listed here that's most common today is this one right here. A fear of failure and rejection. You know, I've always had a, fa a fear of rejection. It, to the point that it caused causes problems in my life. 
It always has. There's a bit of a chip on my shoulder in, in many ways that from my raising and all the things that went on in those things, that there is that fear of rejection. And I couldn't be in the word, or maybe it probably is the best job that I could be to deal with that because I get rejected all the time. I'm in sales. So learning to deal with that is probably a blessing for me. How many times have you thought, you know, this is the, an opportunity has been presented to me, but I don't take it? Specifically regarding an opportunity to teach somebody. And you pass it up. Do you ever go back and analyze the why? Because 99% of the time, we're afraid. We're afraid we're going to get rejected. We're afraid that our relationship is going to get changed in some way. And we just pass it up. That's a legitimate fear. And that's something that probably grips more most of us on some level today. And no, we don't have the proofs that Moses had where we can pick up a snake and it turns to a staff or we can take water and pour it out and it turns to blood. We don't have those same proofs. But what proofs we do have are the proofs that were given to us in God's Word. It's the proofs that God's Word changes people's lives. I tell my children all the time, a young guy that I grew up with, we went on very separate paths. We started out on the same path, a lot of drugs and alcohol. And the last time I, I saw him, I couldn't hardly carry on a conversation with him. And I tell my children, there were things that changed in our lives. But the thing that saved my life wasn't that I quit doing drugs. It was God. It was God that changed everything about me. And whenever we don't take the opportunity to show people that God changes people's lives. All along, He's screaming to us, here's your response. And we like Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, and we, like, we pull it out of context, and it's perfect when it's pulled out of context. It doesn't change, don't get me wrong. But up to this point, Paul has actually been referring to Moses and what Moses wrote in the book of Deuteronomy. And he talks about there, don't say that you're going to go into heaven or go into the abyss. But he talks about the Word, how that it is near our heart, and that it's part of us. And there's this parenthetical statement that he makes, the faith which we proclaim. And he goes on to proclaim that faith and talk about the faith that you can't be ashamed in the gospel of Christ and in your faith. 
And he talks about this process of growing in faith and how the teachers need to be sent. And at the end of it, this is the punctuation of it all. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Here's the reality. Whatever our fear is when it comes to someone not believing or rejecting or my relationship changing, your faith isn't, their faith and your faith isn't going to grow unless this is understood. Your faith and their faith isn't going to have an opportunity to develop if we don't take the time to tackle the fear of rejection. And realize that it is not about us, but that it is about God. Lastly, I'm not eloquent. I can't think of a single time in the Scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, and I could be wrong, that God ever required eloquence and eloquence to present and proclaim His truths. I can't think of one time. But how many times do we allow that to hang us up? God's response, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. This is Paul And he's confidently saying, these are the things that you do. You do what I did. You follow after me. That's a pretty confident statement to make. You follow after me and you do the things that I did. Now consider that statement contrasted to what he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. As Paul has been dealing with division in the church, this is what he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. The contrast was this. In Corinth, it was common for people to make these great, eloquent speeches. You're talking about the the part of the world in which philosophy was born out of, and you would get people that would publicly philosophize, and so this is what people were used to. These people that had great oratory skills and could articulate everything perfectly. And Paul said, I wasn't that. That's not who I am, and that's not who I was. But what I proclaim to you, and the only thing that I proclaim to you was Christ and Him crucified. In its simplicity. No, we're not all eloquent. And to be completely honest, whenever we look at our ability to speak and say things, we probably all fall very short of being eloquent. And I talk to people all the time, and I'm envious of their ability to sling a sentence, and wordsmith. I love talking to Chris Gerald because that guy could just put a sentence together 
That was like hot knife through butter. But at the end of the day, I know that I'm never going to be like that. But is it about me? Or is it about the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified? No requirement for eloquence. At the end of all of it, what does Moses say to God? He's, I've got these concerns. God's response, I'm going to equip you. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to take care of you. Did Moses... Say, we're going to charge in there and we're going to take care of business, God. Please send someone else. And he said, O oh my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of whom thou wilt send. I know you've answered all my concerns. I know I've got these problems. But at the end of it, God, will you just go send somebody else? Something else that is perpetuated thousands and thousands of years. I don't have any of these abilities. No one's going to believe me. I'm afraid of being rejected. Somebody else go take care of this. I'm going to sit here and mind my business. Elders, this is your job. You go take care of it. Evangelist, this is your job. You go take care of it. Same thing thousands and thousands of years later. I don't have the ability. Somebody else go do it. All of these affirmations, all of these tools that God is going to provide him and take care of him, the fear has been confronted. The fear has been taken care of. And at the end of it, what happens? Unnecessary fear takes control. Unnecessary fear is what took over. Who was this about? That's the question. When it comes to understanding what our fear is and all of these fears that Moses has and all these fears that we have that are just like Moses, at the end of it, it boils down to this question. Who was this about? Who am I? What will I say? They will not believe me. I am not eloquent. At the end of it, when it came down to fears being confronted and taken care of and it going rolling over to necessary fe- unnecessary fears, it was all about me. And it wasn't about God. It wasn't about His plan. It wasn't about His purpose. It was about Moses and me. Anytime I look at these fears and I say, well, they're not going to believe me or I'm afraid they're gonna get, I'm going to get rejected or I don't have all the proper words, at the end of it, it's the exact same thing. We make it about ourselves instead of about God, His plan, and His purpose for us. 
That's what our unnecessary fears are about almost all the time. I have a very unnecessary fear. I'm afraid of sharks. Many years ago, my wife and I went to South Padre Island, and we were staying at a hotel. We'd gone, we were dumb, number one. We had this idea that we were going to camp on the beach, and we get out there, and there were some shady characters out there, and I was like, we're getting a hotel. We're trying to be cheap, but we're getting a hotel. So we had been walking in the water at night. I didn't know anything different, like up to our hips in water. Well, that happened to be Shark Week, and when we went to the hotel, I was watching Shark Week. And what I watched was that the number one killer when it came to sharks was not the great white shark, it was bull sharks. And bull sharks lived in shallow water. And they fed at night. And I was like, we're just walking in the water at night. I didn't get back in the water the rest of that trip, to be completely honest. I live in West Texas, and I have a a, a fear of sharks. The number of times that I've been in a place where there's actually sharks has been very limited. But, you know, over the years, I've gotten over that. This summer, we went to the beach, and I, I went snorkeling. Um, I just kind of resided myself. You know, my children are there. If I die, I mean, it, it'll be a cold death at least. I don't know. I overcame it. It's not that big of a deal, the possibility that's going to happen. And I'm sure that's gonna, how my demise is going to wind up being. But it was an unnecessary fear, something that really took opportunity away to have cherishable moments and memories that was something that was pretty easy to overcome. You know, fear is to Satan what faith is to God. You know, Brad brought up the math stuff, and I'm horrible at math, but that was those, I don't know what what those statements they used to make when you were in math, truth statements or something like that. This is to this, what this is to this. Fear is to Satan what faith is to God. That's the tool That's the motivator. That's the primary thing. And it is our faith that ultimately allows us to overcome any of those fears that we've talked about. Faith obeys in God in spite of circumstances or consequences or fears that we have. Faith motivates us to do things even though People may not respond or we're afraid of how they're going to respond. And 1 Kings chapter 19 records the story of Elijah. And he had just defeated Jezebel's false prophets and killed a number of them. What this did was he incurred the wrath of the queen. What was... Elijah's response when he heard that the queen was upset. He took off. He ran. He was afraid for his life. Hours before, he had just defeated and killed a number of false prophets. And he was able to do this 
through the power of God, he finds out that someone's mad at him, and what does he do? He takes off and hides. Because he ultimately became concerned about himself, and his faith shrunk, and it wasn't about God's plan or purpose. It was about him. His fear replaced his faith, and he ran for his life. In Mark chapter 5 and verse 36, in Mark chapter 5, Christ is heading to the home of Jairus. He's got a daughter that's very ill. And in the crowd, a woman touches his cloak, and she's healed of her ailment. And as they, he wants to know he, he, who did it. And as the crowd is pressing in, one of Jairus' servants comes and says, Hey, she's already dead. You, you might as well just send him home. There's no need to bother him anymore. She's gone. And this was Christ's response. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Man just got word that his wife, his daughter was dead. And he, Christ simply says, Don't be afraid, but believe. And time and time again, this is the same expression that is made through God's Word. Whether it's through the, through the Peters and the Pauls, time and time again, don't be afraid, have faith. In Psalms chapter 56, David wrote this psalm. And he said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. David lists off a number of things in what people were trying to do to him. Trying to kill him, trying to manipulate his plans. And multiple times in this psalm, David says this, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. And this is another sentiment that's expressed over and over again. You have a fear? Yes. Who do you rely on in that time? It's back to that question of sufficiency. You have a concern? Who do you rely on in that time? Because over and over the same thing is said, when you're afraid, you rely and trust in God. Over the years, many of you don't know this, but as a child and a young adult, I was extremely introverted. When I was in the sixth grade, it was recommended to my mother that she get me psychological help because I was so introverted. Now, I probably needed psychological help, but I don't know if it was for that. I don't know. I was surrounded by all these people that were extroverts. My brother was this great public speaker. He could talk to anybody, and I wanted to be just like him. So I put myself in positions all growing up that made me have to come out of my shell. But it didn't work. You know, I, I was in I debate. 
I was in public speaking classes. I ran for offices. That didn't help because I can do this all day long. It's when you stick me in a room with somebody that the problems arose. My wife was completely opposite, and she was the extrovert. She could talk to anybody. Numerous times early on in our marriage when we would be going to some people's house that I didn't know, I'd be holding her hand, and my last words to her before we walked in the door were always the same. Please don't leave my side. I had a crippling anxiety when it came to talking to people. That all changed in a one-hour conversation that I had with a man by the name of Roger Jones. Roger Jones is Carrie Jones' dad. I had an opportunity to go dove hunting with him. <clears throat> and we got kind of off to the side, and we're sitting on some buckets just talking. And Roger was, if you ever met him, he was an extremely sincere man. He's a very nice man, very genuine. And he was just asking me question after question after question. And I was like, my goodness, I want to shoot some birds. But then kind of got into the conversation and we're talking to him. And I asked him at one point, how do you do this? You know, you, you seem to make it so easy. And I've always struggled with this. I have this fear whenever I meet new people and I can't talk to them. I just clam up. And he said, two things. Number one, ask questions. People like to tell their story. Number two, don't make it about yourself. That one-hour conversation changed my life. That's why I can be in sales and walk into a room and talk to people. That's why... I have an ability that I thought I would never have because he identified the problem and gave me the tool to fix it. Two thousand years ago, a man was praying in the garden and he was afraid. He was about to suffer anguish and pain. He asked God if there was any other way. But he ultimately did what he needed to do because it wasn't about him. He willingly allowed himself to be murdered by the creation in which he created for you. He had a purpose, he had a plan, but at the end of it, there was still some fear. But he ultimately knew that he had to go through it because it was about you. And he asks us today, to set our sides of fear, our fears aside, and use the tools in which He's equipped us with to accomplish His purpose and His plan.
Will you do that? And his plan and his purpose for you was salvation. Ultimately, he put himself on that cross so that you would be saved. He was tortured and murdered, and he asks you to respond. To submit yourself to him. In that same passage that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he talked about that gospel plan, what the gospel was, and he talked about the resurrection. He asked you to be resurrected to a newness of life. And you can do that. You can do that in the waters of baptism. He wants you to be saved. If you have a fear of what other people might say, a fear of eyes being upon you, set that aside. There's also the very strong reality that we have that we have a lot of fears in our lives that hold us back. And sometimes we just need help. Sometimes we need strength and sometimes we need comfort. Sometimes we just need the tools to be provided to us. We can help this morning. We can say a prayer on your behalf. We can get you in connection with someone that might be able to help you deal with whatever fear you're having. They may be able to provide you with the tool to overcome that. But if you would find yourself in either of these groups, we ask you to come forward as we sing the song that's been selected.